Paratopia, Jeremy Vaney here. We have a lot of show to get to, so much, in fact, that uh, we can't contain it in this episode. So this is part one of two of listener Colin Reed, a.k.a. Spider Boris, on our message board, talking about his life of strangeness, his theories, and his readings on primarily magic. I see a new theme developing here in this latest incarnation of Paratopia. Magic, Grant Morrison, sigils. I mean, it all comes back. Uh, what is going on here? Where did this interest all of a sudden come from? And why is it attaching itself to our little show? I don't know, but I'm down for the ride. So here's Colin Reed with his Scottish accent. You fucker. My name is Colin. Uh, that is my real name that I'm revealing to you right now to start things off. I go under the name Spider Boris uh, on the Paratopia message board where I've posted a few times here and there over the last couple of years, fairly in- irregularly, but I have very limited internet access at the moment. So, so that's my excuse for having not been on the message board more. But anyway, hello and welcome to all of you good people in the Paratopia land. Uh, I'm one of the people who has perhaps in a slightly foolhardy fashion volunteered to record an episode of this show. And that is what I'm doing right now. I've got quite a lot of notes for this. Uh, what basically happened was uh, when uh, you know Jeff and Jeremy announced that they were going to allow for people to do this thing, I rather foolishly just thought to myself right from the off, yes, I really want to do this, I want to do Paratopia, I want to be on it. And I thought to myself, I'll be able to record a show quite quickly, I shall just sit down and I shall do it, because I have lots of things I want to talk to you about. But uh, then my brain started to go off in a lot of different directions, because I've had quite a few strange and anomalous experiences in my life, and that was going to be the main thing that I was going to start off talking about, and I thought maybe the whole show could just be that, me talking about weird stuff that has happened to me. But uh, in the period of about a month or so, actually it's more like two months since I first heard about this, and I started putting the show together, really I started to do quite a little little bit of research, some of it accidental research, some of it deliberate, and that led me down uh, various little sort of tangled paths to different sort of ways of thinking about stuff. And I've come up with a lot of stuff that I hope uh, you listeners to Paratopia will find interesting, and it is going to be in this show. Uh, So to give you a little bit of an idea about what I'm going to do for the next, it might be two hours, it might be slightly less, I'm not sure. I have a funny feeling I might manage the the full two hours, it depends on how much I ramble or or go off the point. I think my my ideas are in a reasonably organised sort of fashion, so without boring you anymore with this sort of rambly sort of an intro, I'll just get on with it really. The basic idea is that part one... Uh, I'll just say there's going to be two parts of it, broadly speaking. Part one will be me talking about my experiences uh, that I have had. Quite a few of them. Some of them have been uh, peculiar, mm, to describe them, maybe. Uh, not. I, I, I don't think I've really had a lot of experiences that have been incredibly strange, but maybe it's when you actually strip them back and start looking at them in a more sort of analytical, serious fashion, then you can sort of uh, say, yes, they are very strange, actually. So we'll be looking at all that. Yeah, there's about, what is it, eight or nine sort of major things that I want to talk about in the first hour. So the first hour will probably be me talking about these things, these weird experiences. And in the second hour, uh, 
what what I found out I, I wound up doing when I was looking at these things was I started and over the years when I've thought about them over the years because I've never spoken about them before you start to notice a connective sort of thread between them all because there've been you know there's been stuff that's been I don't know if you want to call it paranormal esoteric ufological you know occult you know dream related stuff that I'm going to go into and for me uh especially in recent years I've started to notice this thread this connectivity this sort of interconnectedness uh, and synchronicity that's that seems to exist between a lot of anomalous phenomena and obviously people listening to paratopia will you know know about that sort of thing uh, and I certainly have been sort of I've been thinking a lot of about it specifically actually just just from having listened to paratopia has you know made me think a lot more about you know connectivity between things and more about and, and you know the stuff that's been talked about in paratopia i've been thinking more about my own experiences in relation to some of these things and i'm gonna i've got quite a lot of things i'm gonna drag in so first hour uh, me talk a bit about experiences second hour i'm gonna go into a lot of uh, well I've, I've got written here I've got post-experiential analysis and conjecture, the occult and specifically chaos magic in relation to quantum mechanics, synchronicity, novelty and trickster phenomena, i.e. they're basically all just different facets of the same thing. Which sounds a bit verbose and confusing, but it does start to make sense when I when I when I when I manage to get through it all, or at least I hope it will. Yeah, but I'll just get on with it really, because it gets very complicated, or at least I don't want it to get very complicated. So anyway, I'll just I'll leave all of that for now. I don't want to you know confuse people or, or confuse myself, which would be worse, I think. Just to give you a little idea about who I am, quickly. Uh, my name's Colin. I'm 31 now. Uh, I currently live in the quite picturesque uh, fishing village of Ullapool, which is out in the Scottish Highlands. Yes, I am Scottish. That is what I sound like, if, you were, if you're wondering. Uh, so I'm out in the Highlands of Scotland. I'm originally from sort of central Scotland, which is quite a way away from there. Uh, I'm not all that far from Loch Ness, actually. Haven't yet been out there to look for any monsters or anything like that. But anyway, so I'm a little fishing village. So I'm recording this uh, in that pleasant location. The weather's quite nice today. It's the morning, but uh, I wanted to record this at night, but due to strange work hours, it's been impossible. So I'm recording it in, in the morning. So it's not too spooky an environment for talking about this stuff. Uh, and really, I mean, I have been, you know, sort of into sort of, well, I wouldn't say obsessively, but it's been a very abiding interest of mine. Uh, anything to do with the paranormal or the esoteric I mean, mainly I've been really fascinated by UFOs and abductions and all that sort of thing. Uh, the esoteric sort of strange and occult, anything peculiar, Fortean. When I was a little kid, I was always, you know, reading books about uh, ghosts and hauntings and dog-headed men. You know, it's just this normal stuff like that. When other normal people were probably out, you know, running around the streets and attacking each other, you know, I was hold up with some books about monsters and spontaneous human combustion, all that sort of crazy stuff. You know, I'm sure most of us here, you know, are, are quite familiar with that sort of thing. And in the rest, uh, in the last sort of five years or so, uh, which sort of comes into coherence with, you know, uh, discovering uh, MP3 players and podcasts, which pretty much came along in sort of round about 2005, I think, was kind of when the, the, the sort of the first explosion of podcasts. Uh, that combined with the fact that I work night shift, uh, in a hotel, so that basically me meant that when I started this night shift job and I just got a, an iPod and, you know, I had six hours a night roughly, 
where I had nothing to do while I was working, but I could listen to radio shows. And then I went and discovered lots of podcasts and radio shows. And inevitably, many of these ones I discovered had a lot to do with the paranormal, the occult, and UFOs and stuff. Uh, and, you know, eventually that led me to, to Paratopia. So obviously I've been here listening to Paratopia for quite a while. Uh, and so I'm, I've, you know, I've been quite listening to a lot of all this stuff and picking up all the different points of views over the last few years. Uh, and I'm one of these odd people, you know, used to be when I was listening to Paratopia, I would pause it, you know, in the middle of Jeff and Jeremy's after chat and sort of join in in the conversation myself in a slightly demented fashion at five o'clock in the morning while hoovering a hotel restaurant. I was pausing my MP3 player and saying, now, hang on, I've got an idea about that. I think it would be interesting if blah, 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 blah. And I talked to myself. So so now I'm sort of unbelievably joining in. So that's that's something I will come back to this sort of. Uh, a sort of a magical evocation, you know, in that Jeff and Jeremy have put this sort of energy out into the world through the medium of the power of Paratopia. And, you know, that has uh, sort of uh, downshifted through reality to, to, to small people like myself. And now I'm here on the actual program talking about stuff. So that's what I'm doing. And I'd, I'd even considered doing my own podcast a few years back, but basically hasn't, you know, I, I, I thought I don't have that much to talk about, actually. So basically this will be my the entirety of my podcast career, probably these two hours. So anyway, that's me, basically. That's my exciting life story. So I work at a hotel and I'm also a writer struggling away to try and get somewhere with that, but doing all right. Written a couple of books, but hopefully sometime they might ever get published. <laughs> but, you know, it's not a fun job writing, really, or at least I don't find it that much fun, but I keep going with it anyway. Right, as I said, I've had quite a few anomalous experiences in my life, uh, and many of these I have a hazy and perhaps questionable recollection of and this is stuff i'm sort of reading that i've written down so many of these events uh didn't have any seem to have any connective tissue between them but it's only in recent years and as a direct consequence of paratopia that i've been able to so i've been sort of joining the dots about these things originally my idea was that i wanted to talk about time and memory in relation to how anomalous events work or how your own perception of time and, you know, your own understanding of your own memory seems to operate in relation to, you know, anomalous paranormal type events and how these affect my life and worldview in general. Uh, I mean, memories, my memories of these things are sometimes scant, minimal or clouded by youth, yet the recollection of the emotional response connected to a couple of these things that happened to me still disturbs me to this day. Uh, simply because I don't really have any idea or I don't really remember what the hell they actually were or what they even represented. What I came to in my thinking about this was that this sort of um, perhaps not unusual dichotomy that I feel exists somewhere between the tendency towards rational scepticism and a desire to believe and understand the genuinely weird. So yeah, I was seeing this sort of sort of split between the the explainable and the unexplainable you know and this sort of split that exists between sort of scientific interpretations of religious interpretations of skip you know of sort of normal uh lucid more normal sort of takes on you know ufo stuff so lots of sort of clashes of opinion in my own head about it so i'm gonna try and sort of put some of those mental collisions and uh inconsistencies away and just sort of bring a sort of bring an end to it for myself really 
really in doing this i've sort of come to a point where i've stopped pondering this stuff to an obsessive sort of level and thinking actually no you can leave it at this now i don't have any religious upbringing or any religious background regarding this but i'm also i'm not an atheist i think i think i'm probably fairly pragmatic but i'm you know i'm open-minded i'm, I'm kind of open-minded to anything that's the thing you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm willing to believe absolutely anything within reason you know within a sort of level of, of within a sort of framework that seems believable to me and obviously if you're talking to a person about something then you go on your instincts and you go on whether that person is you know credible and believable to you from your own perspective really in, in sort of judging what somebody's telling you about something so so anyway that's my sort of background in in thinking about this i have come to the sort of thinking in the last few years or so that maybe a lot of anomalous paranormal experiences ufo stuff aliens ghosts you know all of that it might be more likely to be a product of some buried aspect of the human psyche so i'm gonna start by talking about uh probably the first thing i can remember that happened to me that was a little bit sort of strange and anomalous and maybe to a lot of people you might immediately start thinking this is one thing and that wasn't what i thought at the time but uh this is um i can't honestly remember exactly how old i was when this happened but i'd say i was probably around um five or six years old which makes that year wise 1984 or 1985 so you know i'm 31 now so it says going back to you know the early 80s uh, so I was five or six, you know, 84, 85. And this happened, uh, you know, I lived at home with my parents and my brother. And this was in a place called Clackmannan, which is in central Scotland. If you need to know where that is, it's sort of, you know, it's a sort of uh, little sort of nowhere place, really. Uh, no, but no, even when I'm in the, in the UK, you tell people I'm, I used to live in Clackmannan. Nobody knows where it is. And I live in a place called Alloa as well, which was a sm which is a smallish town. But that's probably irrelevant. You know, you could look it up online if you want. Actually, interestingly, after the, that sort of place where I grew up, you know, there have been done some sort of research into this. And there have been quite a few sort of strange things that have happened in, in the sort of Clackmannanshire region and also in Stirlingshire, which is quite nearby. Uh, there was black triangles flying around Stirling in the you know, in the 90s, <laughs> possibly in, in, in is congruous with the X-Files being on TV, which is also, you know, which is a thing. There was a very major sort of girl who was, you know, having a big poltergeist thing going out, going on. And that was back in the, oh, when was that? That was back in the 70s, I think. And that was actually, I'm sure the actual location was about, I think it's not very far from where I grew up in Alloa after being Clackman when I was younger, but. You know, there was black triangles and there was, you know, a, a poltergeist thing going on in the region. Uh, and there was also a UFO flat. Oh, yeah, there was Bonnie Bridge, which is a town not all that far in the same sort of area, which Bonnie, there was the Bonnie Bridge Triangle for a while, I think, in the 90s. That was another, you know, incident where the whole area was apparently completely sort of replete with flying saucers and UFOs and strange lights. Anyway, like I said, I was five or six, going right back to the point, trying to keep things in order here. I was five or six, uh, and uh, this happened at night, uh, and I woke up, basically I was in my bed, in my bedroom, uh, which I shared with my brother uh, at the time, and I woke up uh, at an early hour of the morning, it would have been, so I don't know, like maybe two in the morning or something like that from my recollection. Uh, and basically I woke up, I looked across the, the bedroom, and standing in the corner of the room, like there was a sort of a chest of drawers, 
at the other end of the room from where my bed was and there was a person standing there and this person was sort of they had their hands sort of the top drawer it was like you know like three drawers in a chest of drawers and the top drawer seemed to be open as far as i can recall and the figure that was standing there uh i'm gonna say he was putting his hands into the top drawer as if you know and i think this was my sock drawer at the time you know when i was a kid when i had my socks in the top drawer so there was this figure who was standing there in my bedroom about you know when i was five or six and you know and this was about two in the morning this figure had its hands in the top drawer and was sort of seemed to be looking for something in the top drawer it had its head sort of bent forward and was looking into the drawer now to go into specifics about this figure uh it was entirely humanoid as far as i can remember uh, and sort of adult human shaped i mean firstly before you think it wasn't a little gray alien certainly it was it, it, it I, I never got the impression that it was an alien or anything like that but the other thing is that this experience only lasted possibly a, a minute or less and the other thing about this thing was that uh, this human figure uh, it didn't have features because all i could see was like moonlight would be the description i can describe to say what it looked like i mean it was lightly white almost like a silhouette like a white silhouette like almost like a cardboard cutout and i was looking at the figure and it didn't have any features at all i mean i vividly recall seeing this thing which again let me just clarify now it might just have been a hallucination of a sort of a, a sleep related you know um you know hypnopompic hypnagogic you know trans state uh sort of sleep paralysis incident and i'm going to talk a bit about that in a, in a in a moment as well but you know i was looking at this thing that looked like a, a a lightly glowing white human figure that was looking through a top drawer in my room now i woke up i saw this figure that looked like a glowing person and it turned around to face me right i mean i don't recall any motion other than it turning around and i recall it turning around and facing towards me with its face Although, again, I saw no features, I just saw this white shape, this white figure. And this figure looked at me, and then I was immediately struck with an al a lot of fear at this point. Because, well, you would be seeing, you know, a glowing white person in your room at funny hours of the morning. Uh, and I remember thinking that I was about to, you know, like, scream in terror at seeing this. But when this thing looked at me, you know, I felt those feelings just go, you know, they were sort of immediately nullified. Uh, and the thing I vividly remember thinking about this thing, this was one thing that always stayed with me. The key thing that stayed with me about this experience, because it wasn't there wasn't much to this experience beyond me seeing this thing. I recall turning my head round uh, and, and and just thinking, this isn't important. Think about this in the morning. Doesn't matter. Go back to sleep. And I remember thinking that you know I was I must have been asleep before my head hit the pillow. I just recall you know it looked at me and I put my head right back down and I was asleep. That's all I you know I recall. And I was you know I feel I was you know about to panic and then this thing looked at me and I went right back to sleep. And you know the morning after that I checked with my parents and said, did you come into my room last night? Were you looking through the drawer at night? were you you know putting clothes in my room or something like that? And my parents said no, you know we weren't in your room last night. And I, the other thing is, I, you know, I remember that, you know, I shared the room with my brother and I don't recall, you know, noticing anything about my brother at the time. I 
don't recall even seeing him, not that I'm saying, you know, he was whipped up by aliens or anything like that. Because that's the thing, I never thought of this as being an alien abduction thing. It's it's something that, you know, maybe I considered years later, because like I said, I was always sort of interested in this subject anyway, probably, you know. I probably still, you know, I, pro I probably was at that time, you know, as well, you know, I was looking at books, you know, reading books out of the library or whatever about it. But, you know, I never sort of put two and two together and got five, you know, as it were. I never thought, oh, well, that was an alien then, that thing that I saw in my room. You know, it was just it was just something weird, maybe a hallucination, maybe a sort of weird dream or something, you know, and was it a dream? It might have been just a dream. And again, it, it doesn't make sense. So it sticks in your mind as being a sort of a, you know, a glitch in the Matrix, you know, <laughs> to, which is another thing that I sort of wanted to mention, you know, sort of you know, to bring up the Matrix or whatever as being a comparison, even though it's rubbish, mainly the Matrix, <laughs> the Matrix films. But yeah, so this was this little glitch thing, this little hole in reality, this sort of cardboard cutout figure, like somebody had taken a pair of scissors and cut, cut, cut some of reality out, you know, and then you look through this hole in reality and you think, hang on a minute, that shouldn't be there, you know, there, there's, there shouldn't be a gap in reality, it doesn't make sense, what's this weird white person doing here, this sort of hole in, in normalcy. But that's that's the extent of that story, really. Another thing that this was actually came directly out of listening to Paratopia. You know, I'm sure you all remember the episode with Phil Imbrogno. The first episode with Phil Imbrogno where he was talking a lot about uh, the stuff that went on in Hudson Valley back in, was it the 70s and the 80s with the weird UFO sightings and uh, and these mysterious sort of caves and tunnels systems that were that are there or where there and then got sort of closed up and shut down. But the main thing that he was talking about, which I thought was just really fascinating and really sort of connected with me was you know he was talking about these pre-celtic structures that are there you know i mean i'm scotland i've never been to america so you know but you, I, I got such a a vivid impression of the area from hearing him talk about it. and he was talking about uh, in relation to these celtic structures that are around that area he also mentioned how strange celtic type music has been reported as being heard in that area and that often comes in tandem with a weird paranormal goings on and ufos and stuff and by celtic music i think you know to, he said like flutes or pan pipes or i think you mentioned drumming as well but you know like sort of tribal drumming and this uh brought me right back to to some other memories i have of what I think was a recurring event from, again, from my childhood. But again, I'm not sure of dates, but again, like the previous thing with the glowing person, it was probably the same time period, sort of, you know, early 80s when I was like five, six. Uh, and I remember, I remember this as being a sort of a single memory, just like a one-off thing, but I, I sort of, I don't know, it's like, God knows, it could be like a screen memory, but I remember sort of a single memory of, um, but yet the memory I have of this single memory is that it was a, recur a recurring thing, you know, like it was something that happened often, like it was familiar to me while it was going on. So I, I recalled sort of um, waking up in again in the early hours of the morning uh, and I would hear the melody of the song Greensleeves playing seemingly fairly loudly in my house. If you know green sleeves, it's a do 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 like that. But that wasn't exclusively; it was sort of sort of mandolin or harp music was what I recall hearing, and this just sort of quite loud, but you know, very placid, mellow music. And it was like it was it was almost like it was being piped through the house on tannoy. It was like elevator music, almost like you'd hear in a restaurant or something like that, or in a hotel, you know, in a 
hotel foyer, which I'm used to hearing as I work in a hotel. And it was like this strange, implacable Celtic music that I remember hearing. And again, I remember hearing this like at night when I woke up playing loudly through the house. And again, you might easily say, was that just a, an auditory hallucination? Maybe my brain was playing tricks on me and I was just hearing strange music when I woke up. That can happen, I believe. As far as I know, my parents were not playing Celtic music very loudly through the house, you know? I don't believe they even had such music in the house. It, it, it That just doesn't make sense, you know? It, there would not have been anybody playing music at that time. There was, you know, this was like a, a house that was on its own, so there was no neighbours through the walls who would be playing music. So, yeah, and, and like I said, I remembered, so I have this memory of remembering it and thinking, oh, there's that music again. And that's 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 all again. That's just a very shady sort of incomplete sort of memory that I have of hearing this weird music and hearing Phil and Brogno talking about that sort of thing going on in Hudson Valley in the, in the 70s and whatever. And I... I think there's been other sort of stories about people talking about that same sort of thing. I just that that just was like had quite a big impact on me when I heard him talking about that because I just thought, wow, that's weird, because that really completely correlates with what I remember. And so that's these two things I remember: this this weird music that I remember hearing playing through the night in my house. I've gone back and thought about it over the years and thought that's actually quite weird. I have sort of uh, these various things. You know, they have sort of bothered me over the years, but not to a sort of really bad extent. Not that they've been, you know, traumatic in my life or anything like that. I've never needed a therapy because of some of these weird things that I remember. And and again, they're just a couple of weird things. They're not that weird, I suppose, compared to, you know, a lot of other people. You know, and I certainly I'm not about now to go into some terrible alien abduction type scenario because I don't have that. I don't have any memories of ever seeing great aliens or beings or strange people coming into my room or anything like apart from that that's the one core you know that weird white person you know, that's all i recall and it didn't look like an alien it didn't it just looked like a human basically or like a projection almost and we're gonna talk a bit more about that you know projections because i'm going to talk about this thing called the bicycle man uh, and this is, again, from the same time period from when I was about five, six, seven, probably, maybe even earlier. I'm always a bit odd about remembering what year it was when I was younger. I'm quite sort of sketchy about individual years remembering. Some people seem to have this ability to just remember days, you know, specifically in years, but I kind of can't. But this is, again, from when I was wee, and this is another thing that I recall happening many times, and I, I'm I know this happened more than about four or five times and what it really was was again you could put this down to being like fevers and I, I know my parents sort of said that I'd wake up in the middle of the night screaming having sort of panics and in a sort of a fever and sort of babbling about stuff that was upsetting me and um, the main thing I remember from this was seeing what I called a, a, a bald man on a bicycle which, again, already this is quite weird. I don't think there's much precedence for this. You know, and I've read a lot of books about, you know, weird stuff, and I've listened to an awful lot of radio shows and podcasts and stuff, and I don't think I've ever heard anyone talking about anything like this. And really, what I... What I actually, maybe a little bit, but what I saw was... And again, like the, the sort of the cardboard cutout, you know, lightly glowing white person... This was, this was like, a black, proje like uh, a black projection on the wall... And it was like, you know, like an old cinefilm projection or something like that. Or 
on the bedroom wall, and what I'd see was like a sort of a flickering, like like sort of flick book effect. I'd see the silhouette of, you know, what I saw was a bald man riding a bicycle. All I can really remember was that, I say he was bald, but I seem to remember there being sort of like hairs on the top of his head. The only thing I can think of, like recently what I was thinking about this, I thought like Homer Simpson, you know, has like, was, the, was it the two or three hairs on his head just, you know, and that's it. So that's kind of what I remember seeing. But again, no features, just a silhouette of this bald man who I seem to recall was like portly and like sort of like a sort of stomach. And he was riding this bicycle. You know, there was motion there of the bicycle wheels going round. And this project sort of projected image was sort of moving across my wall. And I remember thinking it sort of came in through the window, which, you know, is a common sort of already, you know, having thought about it. That's like a typical screen memory sort of thing of feeling things coming in through the window and there being flashing lights. Because I recall it almost sort of strobing. But again, like 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 the white thing, it was like soft light. It wasn't very bright lights. And it was almost like this, you know, like a spotlight. Like there was a white spotlight surrounding this figure on the bicycle and the figure was like a you know just a black silhouette and you know i recall this as being something that happened more than once at least a few times and at the time filled me with absolute terror and i can connect that with from the same time i'd have out of body experiences one memory i have of you know looking down at myself in my bed my parents had just come in the room and i was screaming in panic and i myself was looking down at myself from above and this was in connection with this bicycle silhouette person on the wall. And I had similar feelings of being dragged down a tunnel. But that's something that I know is connected with, you know, nightmares, night terrors, sleep paralysis. So, you know, that's something, again, that I almost think says, yeah, maybe that was all just a weird hallucination, just a weird dream, just a weird sort of mental effect. And, you know, I know people, children, you know, often have night terrors and just wake up panicking about stuff. But so that's that, really. This is where we get to the thing about it being really shady and difficult to recall. But, uh, you know, I also have recollections of often sort of waking up and, and feeling something either, you know, on the bed or on the side of the bed, sort of pushing on my side, perhaps a weight shoving up against me sort of outside the sheets. Just like, again, that's like your typical old hag syndrome, sleep paralysis thing, which I seem to recall sort of paralysed feeling from then. And I've got some other things that I'm going to talk about in a little bit, which I know were definitely sleep paralysis, or that I recall as being, you know, absolutely classifiable as sleep paralysis, which were not weird at all. I mean, I, I've got things I'm going to talk about which I regard as being completely normal. Like, I've got a big thing with that where I saw, you know, you know, if you've heard Jason Offer, who was on Paratopia, talking about, you know, the hat man phenomena and the shadow people. You know, I, I have a strong sort of lucid dream type vision of seeing one of these things that I thought was completely normal. And I thought that was just, you know, that was a, a weird hypnagogic experience. So but this thing, like I said, this bicycle person on the wall who seemed to be like riding in through the window. Uh, that was pretty weird, uh, and then that sort of freaked me out at the time, and has sort of, sort of stayed with me over the years as being quite disturbing. So, you know, we've got the, the glowing white person and the bicycle man. Uh, and I, like I said, I've got a couple of other things that felt like sort of sleep paralysis memories, and it's not repressed childhood abuse, if anyone's wondering, just to clarify that as well. Uh, the other, I'll just mention the, the, the sort of the third thing, 
well actually this is the fourth thing because we've got the, the glowing person the bicycle man the weird music and from the same period we've got uh the thing on the stairs which sounds like a sort of hb lovecraft story or something but yeah and this is sort of a shared memory this is a bit weird to talk about but you know my brother and me we, you know we both have a shared memory of a time when we were very young possibly i don't know because my brother's a couple of years younger than me and this is probably from about the same period when i was five or six or something i recall the time period quite clearly like it was early morning like maybe two in the morning and you know as kids we were always off to bed you know early so you know we we should have been in bed you know long before of two in the morning but we both recall because we've talked about this a little bit on and off but it's it's something that's kind of difficult to talk about most of the time or it feels difficult to talk about we were both downstairs in the living room of our house you know because our bedroom was one floor up and there was we recall that there was something coming down the stairs and it was coming to find us and we both we recall we were both sort of screaming in panic and terror and you know just hysterical we remember sort of feeling that this thing was coming down the stairs moving through the hallway and in the living room there was like a screen door with a sort of uh, frosted glass you know like a, a misty glass that you can't actually see through but you can see shapes moving on the other side of it and we both recall seeing this shape coming you know like almost like a person-sized shape coming down the stairs well we didn't see it coming down the stairs but we felt it coming down the stairs or i did anyway and then you saw this sort of amorphous shape coming sort of towards the 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 glass panels the living room door from the outside it was about to come through the glass like so sort of like walk straight through the door frame and that's all we recall about that is just seeing this shape that was coming towards the door from outside and it was going to come into the living room where we were and it was going to come and find us i was i was tempted to say get us but that sounds a bit melodramatic talking about it now even talking about it now it feels a bit strange because that is something that i've thought about it is does feel quite disturbing and troubling i mean again mainly because i don't rem i don't know what that was or why it was so frightening and i have another memory of seeing something you know like i was lying in bed and there was something sort of rising up from the bottom of the bed that was again like this it was just again maybe this is a screen memory thing I, i'm not going to say it was a screen memory thing but you know I, I don't remember what the heck it was or why it was so disturbing so you have that sort of dis sort of disconnected sort of contradictory thing of like if there was nothing there why were we so frightened and why was i so frightened of something and i'm not sure what it, even what it was it's not even clear enough to know what it was to be frightened of it uh yeah and i remember a thing rising up from the bottom of my, my bed that you know i seem to recall thinking it was like my knees were rising up in front of me but it wasn't my knees like my legs you know like i was lying on my back and you know there was something coming up the bed from beneath my feet you know from the end of the bed but that's again that's another memory that i have which is just there's nothing to that just like a little sort of flash of something but so that that was four main things really from when i was little weird memories you know of this glowing being of hearing the sort of the weird celtic music that sounded a bit like green sleeve playing in the house of seeing this bicycle band thing 
being projected onto the wall and of having something coming down the stairs at some weird time of the morning to get us <laughs> to come and capture my brother and I and whisk us off to fairy land probably that's 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 what it was it was a fairy probably or, or you know or a goblin or possibly a leprechaun that's the more sensible explanation that's the end of the show it was a leprechaun thank you for listening but uh and just to mention um Whitley Strieber for a moment because for some reason, you know, I thought it was probably pertinent to mention the fact that I also I, I first read Communion when I was eight. I think I was definitely I think I was eight at the time. So I don't know if that's a good idea. I don't know if it's advisable to be reading Communion when you're eight. I don't know if that makes you presumptuous or just, you know, a little bit strange. But really, that happened because. I saw Whitley Strieber interviewed on The Wogan Show, which is, you know, for those of you who don't remember that, you know, there's a very well-known television presenter and radio guy in the UK, well, he's Irish, and called Terry Wogan, and he used a TV show in the 80s, which was like a chat show, and Whitley Strieber was on that show. And this would have probably been 1988, I think. Yeah, probably. Because that way, it was, I think, soon after Communion had just come out. And... When Whitley Strieber was being interviewed, some people in the UK might remember this, but what they did was they superimposed the cover of the book, you know, that famous, you know, painting of the the, the grey being, which I I seem to recall thinking was deliberately inaccurate. I think, I think Whitley Strieber made that painting deliberately inaccurate just so that you know it wouldn't be too suggestive to people, <laughs> or whatever, you know, and that it's a bit too Mona Lisa-like, you know, with its weird little grin. But what they did was they superimposed this picture of the, the, the you know, the visitor face over Whitley Strieber's face as he was talking about his experience in, you know, 1985. Uh, and I think what this did was it caused a huge sort of furore, and people who were watching this immediately started panicking and fleeing in terror, thinking that either Wogan or Strieber had been possessed by the aliens and that his face was speaking to them through the screen. I remember definitely not being able to sleep that night anyway, because obviously I had this face stuck in my head, which I don't think I'd seen before. I certainly, I didn't have any, you know, like I say, I don't think I'm an abductee, just to mention that right now. I don't have any recollections of seeing little beings or anything like that, of seeing, you know, any sort of typical Whitley Strieber type alien beings. But, you know, this was something I remember was seeing, you know, Whitley Strieber interviewed and that really, really striking me. And that's there's, there's that weird thing about how, you know, permeated into popular contemporary culture, that image of the, the grey of the, the alien visitor or whatever, the, the alien face, how little kids growing up now know what that face looks like because they've seen it in TV and they've seen it in cartoons and stuff. But back then, you know, this was like, what, 86, 87, I was a wee kid, I'd never seen that before, so it was kind of quite weird. And then I read, you know, Communion when I was eight, so <laughs> bad idea, perhaps, I don't know. But And whether that means now that I'm immediately suggestible, you know, and, you know, I have certain memory biases or whatever that would lead me to thinking my weird experience had something to do with aliens, which is what I don't do, that's the thing, I don't... Uh, think that these things are just mentioned i don't think that they have to do with aliens i think possibly it's within the extreme realms of possibility maybe like i say i'm I'm quite willing to sort of indulge any possibility whatsoever maybe it was aliens maybe it was beings from another dimension maybe it was i don't know what it was maybe it was something we don't understand but anyway that's that anyway the the next thing which i want to talk about is there's not that many of these experiences to go. Uh, next thing I recall was uh, this was a sort of shared experience that happened uh, and involved me, my brother and my mother. 
and was kind of like a time slip and it probably happened in 1989 uh and this uh in 1989 when i was what what was i then 10 no i was eight actually i was eight in 1989 uh and i remember we were living in a little bungalow at the time which was in the same year in clackmannanshire in, in in central scotland not that far from where our previous home was and we'd moved there for a while and this was a little bungalow on a farm, actually. We had nothing to do with the farm, but we were in this bungalow. So basically, our house was surrounded by a field that was full of cows. You'd go out in the morning and there'd be cows looking in at you. And this happened probably, again, I say the memory of this is becomes quite sort of sketchy and abstract. But me and my brother, we, were, we shared a room again and we were, you know, just going to bed. We were just going to sleep. And I think our mother was coming down the corridor to check on us. And what she recalls is, because this is pretty much something that happened to her, but it involved us, is that she was coming down the corridor. And uh, as she was, I think she was just passing a bedside, no, no, a, a table in the in the hallway, which had a which had a lamp on it and the lamp was lit. So the corridor was lit. And as she was passing this lamp in the corridor and our bedroom door was in front of her. Suddenly she was nowhere. Suddenly all the lights were off. It was dark. And she was in a sort of completely different environment. And she remembers sort of reaching out in front of her to try and find what was there. And she remembers touching the wall. And instead of the sort of the wallpapered wall of the house. Actually, I don't know if it was. I think it was wallpapered, the wall of the house. And um, instead of that, she touched up what, what felt like a cold stone wall. And so she was in this sort of like sort of dark sort of environment where she couldn't see anything. It was pitch dark. And I think she said that she she walked in front of her and, you know, the bedroom door wasn't there. You know, she was reaching in front of her and the bedroom door was just gone. She was in this completely dark, dank environment that was almost like sort of a, a cave or something or underground or something. And then after a few moments of that, of being trapped in this place that where she couldn't see anything, she was automatically back and ping, she was back in the corridor in front of our bedroom door. Uh, so how my brother and I remember this was that we were in our bedroom and, well, certainly I remember hearing my mother's voice calling out from seemingly a far-off location. And I remember thinking, what's my mother doing outside the house at this time of night? Because uh, I'm guessing this might have been about 11 o'clock at night, maybe earlier. But, you know, it's like I remember hearing a voice as if she was outside the house, outside the front door, you know, um, and as if she was talking, talking to our father at the time. But she wasn't. You know, we heard, I heard her voice from like far away. She was, you know, seemingly right outside our bedroom door. But, you know, I heard her voice as if she was somewhere far off away. Uh, and then she came back from wherever she had mysteriously been teleported, came into the, you know, the bedroom and told us about this and was quite upset by this experience and the thing is all three of us then of slight now are slightly different well very contradictory recollections of what happened right after this and and even now i can't remember what our recollections were but you know the three of us one of us remembers that we stayed up all night in the living room talking about this strange experience uh another of us remembered that my mother came into the bedroom with us and the three of us you know all sort of slept together in the bedroom and another of us remembered that we went, you know, to sleep in our mother's bedroom. So there was three completely contradictory memories about what actually happened directly after that event.
And I just forgot to mention, in fact, completely forgot to mention, two nights before this happened, I had what I think was like a sleep paralysis experience, but was much weirder. Uh, this was, you know, this was two nights before this event happened in 1989. I was in bed and I recall something came rushing into the bedroom. And again, I didn't see anything and I was immediately frozen and it was like a sleep paralysis experience. And I've got more of them I want to mention. And this thing I felt came zooming into the bedroom and I felt like a very almost electrically charged field coming off of this thing. Like I could almost psychically see it, but I had my eyes closed and I felt it sweeping into the bedroom like a like a I, I can't even say it was a person or a figure of four. It was just like a force, a sort of an intelligent force that came sweeping almost like it was running, like somebody came running at great speed into the bedroom. I came running round the side of the bed came running up to right next to me and I was panicked and freaked out by this and I sort of broke the paralysis and just screamed in terror and leapt out of bed and I think put the lights on and I think my mother then came running into the room and you know there was nothing there whatever was there had gone but it was odd that this happened two days before it might even have been the night before i can't honestly remember if it was the night before my mother's weird time slip experience or not i think i'm pretty sure it was two nights before so that those two things came pretty close together which is interesting i think uh even if the first one feels like a weird time slip one and you know but what happened, my, my mother you know has another memory she had a thing with with her sister whereby they were i think they were in northern france this would have been way back in the 70s and they were traveling through northern strands my mother and, and her sister uh and they i think they st it was a nunnery i think they stayed at uh which they thought was a really weird creepy place you know and they, it was like a sort of hostel type place and they stayed in a room in this weird nunnery and when they woke up in the morning all of their bed sheets that they'd gone to sleep on had been taken out from underneath them and had been scattered all over the room in a sort of freaky manner so and they were and they were really weirded out by that and that's two things that my mother has that really stick with her anyway so that's you know one weird ghost type thing that happened almost like a poltergeist type experience whereby they were sound asleep but they had all their bed sheets ripped out from underneath them and scattered about the place you know which is pretty freaky thing uh so that was um a time slip <laughs> Again, I'm calling it a time slip. I mean, that's, I think, the, the phrase I wound up applying to it. And I think my mother sort of herself decided that, it, you know, that was her impression of what it might have been. Or that she got transported to another type of dimension or something. I mean, my, my mother's never been into science fiction or anything like that. But we sort of wound up thinking of it as a time slip. And then, uh, jumping a little bit forwards uh, to, I think, 1993... Again, this is another thing which was my mother and my brother and my and me experienced in 1993. Uh, and this was pretty much like your, I don't know, textbook poltergeist manifestation, really. I mean, there was some sort of funny stuff that was going on in our family at the time. So maybe that might have contributed to a possible reason for why this happened but really just i mean there's not that much i can say about this other than that you know me and my brother were both sitting playing video games i recall that part during the day sort of mid-afternoon and then just all of a sudden we started to get this really funny feeling and 
before we knew it, the the house was very, 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 very cold. And we did feel like, the, I mean, we didn't take a temp to get a thermometer out of anything, but, you know, we felt as if the temperature in the room had absolutely plummeted. And it was just suddenly really, really cold. And my mother came through and she noticed this as well. And she thought it was really strange and there was an odd feeling in the house and it was really cold. And then I think my mother went through and looked. We had a bookcase in the hallway. And my mother looked at the bookcase and sort of said, the bookcase is all wrong. Like the bookcase has gone strange. Come and have a look at this. And it was like, uh, it was just a small bookcase, you know, in the hallway. And what seemed to have happened, and again, this is where your perception becomes a bit of a weird filter, because I can't quite remember seeing this, but I, I remember it happening, if that makes any sense. So, you know, it was like all the books in the bookcases had been sort of moved around and, and, and sort of were funny angles. Some of them were sort of sticking out. Some of them, they'd been sort of moved about. Like someone had literally came into the corridor and just gone through the bookcase and wrenched all the books out and rearranged them all and messed them all up. And then what happened was that a book... Now, I didn't physically see this happened but my but my my brother did a book then shot out of the bookcase and sort of hit the wall on the opposing wall and sort of fell to the ground like it literally launched out of the bookcase and i i heard this happening i heard the noise of this happening and when i went to look uh the book that had sort of launched itself out of the bookcase was a big book of ghost stories which was completely appropriate. And I remember the, the picture on the cover was of sort of cowled monk in a graveyard, you know, like a painting, like the typical cover of your ghost stories book. And then very soon after that, uh, the temperature returned to normal and whatever it was had gone away. But there was a very tangible feeling that just something strange was going on that day. Something had sort of come into the house and was messing about with the bookcase. And then it just went away again. So that's the poltergeist sort of anecdote. <laughs> to do with um, UFOs, I, I, I sort of have got three UFO sightings. Two of them really weren't UFO sightings. I know I'm jumping about here. You know, there's, quite, there's probably going to be even more jumping about. I didn't know if I was going to spend that long talking about the experiences or not, because I've still got a lot of other stuff I want to go into soon. But it's probably pertinent that I go through these things. Uh, and I did have, like I say, th sort of three UFO sightings which probably all happened in, in, I looked at the years, and it was probably 94, 97, and 2003, just to give some rough estimates. Uh, the first one I recall was in 1994, and this really was like a, a proper sort of UFO, a traditional UFO sighting, in that it was, I saw something that was unidentified. And I remember, you know, just coming out of my house, I was 13 at the time, 13, 14, thereabouts, and... Um, I, it was dark. It was a sort of a very clear night. I came out of the house. I looked up into the sky, uh, just apropos of nothing. Uh, very clear, sort of starry night. So I remember there being stars, and despite the fact that there was definitely stars, I looked up into the sky and I remember seeing probably four lights. Like they looked like stars, but I glanced at them at first, and it looked like four stars together. But they were basically sort of moving in sort of concentric patterns around each other. Like, there was four of them that were sort of rotating, you know, like they were drawing some circles in the sky and they were sort of doing circular motions around each other in a very sort of slow, precise, mechanical fashion. So I looked up at these four lights for uh, not very long, probably about a couple of minutes. And then I 
my parents were inside the house, so I sort of ran back into the house to sort of say, you know, come and look at this, basically. There's some lights up here which are doing some pretty weird things. I ran back out a few seconds later, looked up, and wouldn't you, would you, Adam and Eve, it, they were gone, and they weren't there anymore. So that's another sort of very sort of flashpoint sort of thing, you know, of seeing weird lights in the sky that disappeared soon after when I tried to draw attention to them. Again, that could easily be explained away as um, I suddenly went, looked them in the sky and became a bit lightheaded, you know, and, and saw the stars and, you know, hallucinated the stars were sort of slightly moving around. But And I do recall it was a starry night at the time. But the other two I remember were, the next one was probably in like 1997 when I was at, I was coming home from school, sort of mid-afternoon. And I'm sure I saw what looked like a giant silver craft like sort of drifting above low down house sort of level like I saw it just drifted like oh it was almost like a big silver zeppelin and I sort of saw the top half of this thing sort of drifting down the street behind a house and I recall bolting down the road just to see if I could catch a glimpse of this thing again and again this was something I saw for seconds maybe I saw it for you know less than a minute I saw this thing and you know maybe I imagined it maybe it was a hallucination or something but I'm sure I saw a big silver zeppelin thing drifting uh, and the other one I remember similar was seeing a silver thing just sort of hanging in the sky one day when you know doing some shopping and it was just up in the sky just hanging there and it looked like a sort of a silver globe but you know that could have been a balloon but I remember it was stationary and it was just sort of hanging there. So those are my three UFO sightings. They're not very exciting and they only lasted for, you know, seconds apiece. There's no missing time associated with them, you know. Again, it's often been said most people go a lifetime without ever seeing a, a single thing like this, you know. And and I'm sort of always been thinking that these things have been, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're just a few weird things. But when you actually look back and, you know, I, I dig these things up and I think, actually, you look at these things, they are quite odd, really, when you put them together. And that's the thing about looking for threads of connectivity, you know, about, you know, what do these things have to do with each other? Seeing a weird white person, not a weird white person, you know, as opposed to like a white skinned person, but, you know, seeing a weird cardboard cutout person, seeing this person, you know, on the on the, on the wall and seeing things that might have been like UFOs or unidentified things in the sky and having a poltergeist possibly, you know, messing about with your bookcase and my mother having a time slip thing that messed about with my memory. But uh, the next thing that I had to mention, now this is going into stuff that felt a lot more like uh, sort of hallucinatory vision type experiences. Uh, and this is something that happened in late 1998. I just started university at the time and I'd probably been spending quite a, amount, a, a lot of... Actually, no, I hadn't. I was, I was very social for the first few weeks of university, but then I spent a fair, uh, about a week on my own pretty much. And I remember it was a sort of a, a key period, like I was on my own a lot, being an antisocial weirdo. I, I hadn't been doing all that much and I'd been sort of meditating because I've never really meditated, but I sort of experimented with it a bit at this time. And I was just sort of basically, you know, sort of meditating a bit, writing weird poetry, you know, from time to time, you know, and sort of listening to music and not going out much. And during some of this meditation that I've been doing, I did have a sort of some weird feelings, you know, like of, of sort of if you try meditation and you, I think if you, I think you get it wrong, basically, if you get the weird feeling that you're turning into stone which sometimes happened to me, which I think was a bit unusual if you're lying, you know, I, I you know, used to be lying on my back or whatever, and I had the strange feeling like my body was physically turning into stone, like you sort of lose, it's not so much that you lose sensation, but the sensation in your, you know, your, your limbs or whatever just changes so that it feels really unusual, 
like your body's been sort of filled up with cement or something like that and you feel incredibly heavy so i'd sort of been messing about with with meditation not seriously and, and sort of visualization experiments whereby i think there's one thing that you can do i think i read one book about meditation whereby you're supposed to uh picture yourself going down in an elevator on the top floor you're sort of wide awake and then you know you go down one floor and then you're feeling more relaxed and you go by the time you get down to the basement you should be completely sort of in a deep meditative state you know i think that's a sort of almost like a sort of hell self-hypnosis experiment but i didn't have much success with that really and um uh, this basically uh, led to what was essentially a dream really at this sort of period and it was kind of like um what i recall was i was in like a sort of i recall it was almost like a sort of a, a big open space sort of it was almost like a dance studio what you'd picture a dance studio to be like you know where people go to dance or do ballet or something like that you know which i've never done but you know so i was in this big sort of open space studio rehearsal space area sort of theater place almost uh this is well this is the dream you know i wasn't suddenly in this place and um i was i was surrounded by mirrors and these mirrors were like living things they were like people so these were like gigantic well not gigantic like sort of you know sort of a wide frame sort of mirrors like you'd look into see your entire figure in your your entire you'd, you'd see your entire figure reflected in these mirrors and i recall i was sort of levitating in this dream or maybe flying and i recall flying towards these mirrors and putting my hands out and there was a sort of an uh sort of a beam of energy that would come out of my fingertips and go into these mirrors i got a feeling that i was being recharged by these mirrors or i was charging these mirrors up plugging something into the mains uh, and I don't know if you want to say it was like some sort of a chakra energy or something being opened up. My secret energy centers was being opened up by these things that were like gigantic mirrors that were. And, you know, I'd see a reflection of myself in these mirrors. And that's another thing that I've read about that happens sometimes in dreams, that the thing that, that breaks lucid dreaming or that will put you into a lucid dream state where you're aware that you're dreaming is that there are tricks that you're supposed to do like you're supposed to look at your hands and that's supposed to be an identifier that you're in a dream so or attempt to read something you know if you if you see a magazine or a paper or a book or something you pick it up and you try to read it and you realize that the text becomes indecipherable you know and it becomes like gibberish and you just can't understand it i mean that happens sometimes in dreams another thing you've, I've read a bit about is mirrors and that if you look in a mirror and you try to look at your own reflection in a mirror when you're in a dream weird stuff will happen and it does happen and it's happened to me like it, during dream states where I've looked into a mirror and you see your own reflection and it distorts and it sort of transforms into something else and transfigures and sometimes I've had some very disturbing dreams where I've woken up from them you know in a sort of terrified panic because I've looked at myself in a mirror and something else has looked back out at me like sometimes i have seen a thing that looked like an alien looking back out at me for in my dream from the mirror and this is something that's also common in what i've read of alien abduction experiences and that very often you know people will report that they feel that they've been twinned with an alien being or that they're half alien or something like that and sometimes i look in if you look in a mirror in a dream state you know then there's a strange notion that there's some other force interrupts the dream via the medium of looking into this mirror and this is another thing that sort of goes into occult uh sort of phenomenology 
summoning and invocation and summoning up of demons of something which is also something that's often done by scrying or whatever you know like staring into a pool of water to see into the future or the past or or to summon up beings via the medium of water bringing them out through certain fluids and stuff like that and that's something i'm going to talk about in a little bit but so there was this dream like i say which I've had quite a few sort of, and these were like sort of very lucid dreams, which were very sort of clear to me and very, very sort of detailed. But like a lot of dreams are broken up and nonsensical and surreal and peculiar and there's stuff that doesn't really make any sense in them. But this sort of dream where I, I, I kind of got to calling these things the infinite windows uh, because, you know, I'm a writer and I've sort of written about this in a fictional context whereby these windows sort of become like beings or entities, you know. And I th think of them as being like infinite windows, almost like sort of portals, you know, like or or like the monolith in 2001. That was almost what they were like you know, in the sort of the way I rationalized them, you know. And again, you know, this was a dream, you know, so it was a very vivid, clear, sort of lucid one. But, you know, I still think of it as really basically just being a dream. But who knows if it wasn't some sort of a contact with some other place, you know, some other sort of internalized dreamscape, which is also something I'm going to talk about in a little bit more. Uh, so I was, you know, I was shooting this chakra energy out of my hands into these windows. I remember waking up from that dream and thinking, you know, feeling just recharged and sort of re-energized. But now I'm going to get to the, the, the main point. That this has sort of become the crux of what I wanted to talk about in this show. Uh, and this is something called alien, what, what I call the alien doctor experience. And I'd probably describe it as being a very sort of Terence McKenna-like shamanistic type experience almost and we go into that and the whole sort of um dmt spirit molecule sacred experiences and communion with a sort of internalized state now i must say i didn't take any drugs to have this experience but broadly saying it was i it happened while i was work at work and i worked night shift so it was during the day uh, and I was trying to get to sleep during the day. I was, uh, and I had why I well I can't say I was completely free of illicit influences because I'd had some wine before. I'd had a few glasses of wine before going to sleep, and I don't normally drink wine. In fact, I can't stand wine. <laughs> but I'd only bought the wine because I thought there was an extreme possibility of uh, managing to lure a French girl into my room. But that didn't happen. So you know, you know what it is. You know, obviously French girls, you buy wine. So. Uh, so I'd had some wine and preposterously I'd tried to try and get some sleep in the afternoon. And I remember waking up from sort of being asleep after about an hour or so. And I I started feeling I was feeling really, really sick and really sort of ill, you know, and sort of my, my stomach felt bad. And this happened in 2006, by the way. So it was about four and a half years ago. I started to hallucinate, basically. And it was like what, you know, it was a sort of what I've read about, you know, um, the effects of what happens when you take ayahuasca. People who have written about this sort of situation whereby you, you take ayahuasca, you ingest DMT or whatever, and, you know, these various compounds and drugs that you can take, or maybe even LSD, uh, which I don't have any experience of. But, you know, I immediately started to go into this very sort of altered state. Uh, and it was sort of a, a dualistic sort of split reality state where I was conscious of my surroundings. You know, I was still in my bedroom, you know, in the hotel where I worked. And I could see the room around me and everything. And I could hear people moving around in the corridor outside because uh, it was during the day. And I started to hallucinate sort of, well, no, I don't know if I started hallucinating, but I started to see a sort of 
lattice-like effect uh, and sort of a net thing and I was aware of how this sort of lattice this net I was seeing was like innumerably vast I was basically sort of seeing the building blocks of reality basically I was sort of see you know the whole sort of seeing through the matrix thing or whatever you know and I saw this sort of network of energy points that was making up reality while I was seeing this sort of network of of whatever it was this sort of broken up super strings you know uh, either sort of seeing through the sort of quantum re substrata of reality um i sort of came into i came to encounter uh these two beings that were kind of behind a gauzy sort of curtain like i like they were almost behind a veil where i couldn't see them properly and again this this sort of looking at it t takes me back to the to the cardboard cutout person that i saw when i was a kid and the bicycle person and the, the shadowy thing coming down the stairs because these were things that either I, I couldn't remember them and one of the questions Jeremy asked me actually in the first email I sent was um why are these you know aspects of the psyche buried necessarily why is there amnesia and if there is amnesia or is it just that these things can't be processed by the human mind and now i was going into this sort of altered state and these things started to talk to me or at least i yeah i'm hearing voices by this point so get suspicious right physically at the time i was you know i was really sick like this i was starting i was running to the, the bathroom and i was vomiting you know and there was diarrhea as well just to add to the drama and i was in a sort of sweaty sort of fevered state Later, I started to think this is almost like some, and it became like some sort of weird shamanistic journey almost now, because I was consciously aware of my own body and where I was in, you know, in my room, feeling really physically ill, but at the same time, my mind was going off into this other place. And I, I saw, the, like I said, there was these two beings, which I kind of thought, I, I, in my head, I was thinking, these are alien doctors, right? Because I remember them talking to me. I don't recall, again, I don't recall them looking like greys or aliens or anything like that. I just remember seeing they were like shadowy figures, like almost like, I don't know, like you think of them, um, cave paintings, like Aborigine cave paintings. That's a bit abstract. I know I'm thinking of this sort of shamanistic sort of Aborigine dreamtime thing. Because I remember there being two, vividly, there was two of them that were like having a conversation with each other. Like they were talking behind my back, like you were, like if you're in hospital. And it was almost like I was going. I'd gone into this sort of shutdown mode, you know. Like I was felt. I, I by this point, I'd started to feel like I was dying. You know, I was just lying in my bed, feeling really, really bad. And I was conscious of this other reality sort of coming. I was passing into this other reality. Like it was. And again, I'm thinking of this as being like a, you know, your NDE, your sort of near death experience as well. Because I was thinking I was dying, and I was looking up, and there were these two beings. Sort of, they weren't, you know, they weren't in the room, but they were sort of visible to me. And these two beings were basically talking among themselves. And it, this was like the Terence McKenna thing, you know, where you think about um, the tykes, the like the little energy balls or whatever they were. But these weren't, they were like, well, again, I don't know what they were because they, were, they, they might have been energy balls. But I, th I remember thinking of them as being like alien doctors and I couldn't see their features, but they were behind this sort of curtain of reality. They were like sort of on the other side of this sort of lattice that I was seeing. And I was getting sensory impressions too. I was getting flashes of colours and olfactory impressions as well you know like i was getting weird scents and having little sort of flashes of memories and visions and stuff like stuff from years ago that happened to me just random little images coming at me uh, synesthesia as well which is you know what is it hearing colors and smelling sights and things like that and this was like your seemingly typical hallucinogenic drug phenomena which again i've never done any of those things but you know i'm pretty familiar with you know having read the effects of hallucinogens and this was basically it. i was going on this trip at this time right 
And uh, the, the main thing that I recall these beings telling me, these sort of um, these little alien doctor people that lived outside of reality. Uh, and the other thing, the other sense I got later on was that they were actually this was basically all happening in my head. Right. So I was going into this other reality inside my consciousness and somewhere sort of buried in the depths of my consciousness were these two little people, these sort of friendly alien people in my head. And I remember them telling me a lot of stuff. There was a lot of information. This is also typical of these sort of experiences with these little alien people. I say alien in the sense that I did, they were alien to me, not that they were creatures from outer space or anything, but they were these alien people who I didn't quite know. But yet they lived inside me. They, they, they were these two little people that lived in my head. They were telling me all of this information. I better just read this stuff I've got in front of me because I think I got most of it down. Uh, you know, there was this almost like this sort of information download, you know, and although I was ostensibly conscious during the time, I remember, you know, none essentially of what they were telling me. Like they were sort of speaking in this sort of higher language that I didn't quite understand. And what I came up with in thinking about this was to go into sort of computer terminology. Uh, these beings were like my system restore or they were my virus scan. It's like what I basically recall them telling me as I was lying there sort of sweating and sort of being sick and feeling like I was dying having this. So, I mean, it felt like maybe like food poisoning, which I've never really had either. So I was having what felt like a combination of extreme food poisoning and dumb ayahuasca type drug experience or DMT experience. And while this was going on, I felt like my consciousness was being shut down by these creatures, these things that come up out of my head. And they were basically, they were like the failsafe system, you know, like I'd broken down. They were the maintenance men who'd been called up to, to, to repair me because nobody else could. And it was like they were saying, oh, hi there. Uh, you don't really know us, but we live in your head. You seem to be dying here. So we've come up from the depths of your subconsciousness to fix you and make you better. Because at the moment, nothing else can. We're like your internal thought police. I know you feel like crap right now, but hang on and we'll put you back together. So that, so that was the impression of what I was getting from what they were saying. You know, like they were they were doing some maths or something. They were doing some equations in there, you know, to fix me. So then I felt like the actual me was put into hibernation or shutdown mode. Like the beings were the system administrators. And they just disconnected my brain from my body. Which is, you know, if you look at quantum theory, there's a whole lot of stuff about the, the, the sort of the, the divide between the, the body and the brain and all that philosophical stuff, you know. And then I felt like my personality was cast adrift in the universe. <laughs> this is getting quite abstract now, but I was conscious at the time of being in bed. So like I was semi-conscious at this time. It was like they'd anaesthetized me. Uh, and it was almost like I felt like, you know, these beings were either installing a new mind or a new personality or a new I slash me of carrying out essential maintenance on the current mind. You know, I they were just, you know, just patching it up a bit, you know, my brain. So now I was getting essential system updates, you know, installing updates number one of three. Do not power off or unplug your computer. It will turn off automatically and restart. They were going in there and they were taking out the bad stuff that didn't work. And they were putting new stuff in that did work. And this, uh, you know, I've read quite a few books here and there. And this, thinking about this uh, a bit later on, I, I remember a book I read by Dana Redfield, which I think was called, oh, what was it called? There, were, there was two books. There was one by Dana Redfield and one by Mary Rodwell. 
Uh, and I think the Mary Vodwell book was called Awakening, How Alien Contact Can Transform Your Life. And I think the Dana Redfield one was called We Are the Message. Again, you know, because I have terrible lack of internet access and I don't have any of my books with me here where I work. I didn't get a chance to double check this. But anyway, there was these books by Dana Redfield and Mary Rodwell. And I think both of them talked about something that was very similar. And, you know, like this idea of, again, this is in relation to, you know, alien abduction, which this wasn't, as far as I could tell. This is a, co a common thing that happens. It gets brought up by abduction researchers about how people who have, you know, ongoing lifetime contact with, with beings, be the aliens or otherwise, it, it's almost like a sort of, you know, I mentioned shamanic again. It was like a shamanic sort of a journey, like a self-improvement process. Like people who are perhaps they start off flawed and less of people. There's contact with the other, with the sort of the, the the unseen force of whatever paranormal phenomena is, is somehow a sort of a, a a progenitor for change, or it sort of brings about change in static. You know, it brings about change in static systems which is novelty, which is the trickster, right? Which is another thing I was going to go into talking about uh, if I get to it. So I was having this big cognitive dissonance of feeling like it was almost, I mean, you could say, I, I, I firstly, I, I, I also read at this point, which I was meaning to mention, is that I don't have any, you know, I don't have any uh, history with, you know, mental problems, you know? I've never been on medication for mental problems, you know? I'm not schizophrenic. Uh, I don't have any of these, I don't have borderline personality disorder or autism or anything along those lines. I'm quite a sane, hopefully, reasonably rational and normal level-headed person. So when I had this weird experience, at the time, I didn't think too much of it. I actually went went to work like a couple of hours after, and, and this sort of petered out and sort of, I sort of eventually sort of got to sleep, you know, after this sickness sort of passed over me and this this sort of psychedelic feeling wore off. You know, I started to come off the drugs, as it were, which I wasn't on. So, you know, I got out of the trip and some, and I, I, I stopped feeling really, really sick because I was thinking I might need to phone an ambulance here because I'm possibly... This feels a bit like I'm dying here. It all faded away. These beings from within my personality, you know, did their job. I took out the mental blocks, which is another thing I think I remember reading about in, in you know, either of those two books I just mentioned. That seemingly this is something that happens in the abductions, is that the beings, you know, take out mental blocks. I mean, this is more of a sort of a new agey perspective on it. Is that, you know, they, they, this is, it, they go into your psyche and they, they undo problems and they fix up your personality flaws and, you know, character traits and, you know, improve you and make you a better person, which is almost like a sort of alchemical process of transmutation of lead into gold. And um, what else have I got in front of me? Yeah, it was the whole, you know, hyperspace possibly was the other word I meant to drop in there with these, you know, these little sort of goblin people, possibly goblin people, goblin slash alien slash tyke slash critter. And I do recall one thing I did write down here, which I wrote down at the time, was that I, f I remember the, the one bit of dialogue that I remember because I tried to talk to these beings I thought that these were the true aliens and no sort of form of pretender. And I remember asking them to reveal themselves to me, uh, like properly show themselves to me, because I only saw them as like blurry and inconstant. And I remember them being eggshell white coloured. And they, they, they seemed to have exceedingly long arms. Uh, and I didn't really see eyes or nose or mouth. They were just these sort of, you know, glowing shapes. 
this is interesting in hindsight because I asked them to reveal themselves to me and I, I, I thought if you have the true aliens, if you have not pretenders, show yourself to me. And they said back to me, no, we're not going to show ourselves to you. You don't need to know about that. Now go to sleep sort of thing. We're going to fix you. We've come here to repair you. We are the maintenance men. And it probably wasn't aliens as far as I could tell. And that was the, the key thing that I was thinking about was that I felt like these things most probably from having looked back and thought about it, this may have just been a hallucination brought about by possible food poisoning, possibly by a dodgy reaction to having drunk some wine. Maybe I was just a bit drunk, which I don't recall being really at all. Uh, yeah, did I have food poisoning? Was I hallucinating? You know, was it spontaneous DMT production in the brain that brought on this Terence McKenna, Rick Strasburg type outrageous psychedelic shaman trip into the Nether Kingdom? Am I just mental? Was it mental blocks or am I just mental? Perhaps. So uh, that was the big thing. I mean, I, I, I've written quite a bit about this and I wrote about it in a fictional context, you know, and it's just quite weird, you know. <laughs> That's the main thing I can think to say about it. And the other thing I wanted to read out was um, something that I wrote in the message board about a year and a bit ago. And this was about, the I mentioned the shadow person experience. Almost all esoteric ufological paranormal occult phenomena is, is very often especially by skeptics tied into sleep paralysis uh, i mentioned the bicycle man and the pushing shape memories before and these could have been you know childhood fever hallucinations as could you know the previous infinite windows thing i talked about as could have been the big you know alien doctors dmt hallucination thing i just talked about uh, you know, and this was a sleep paralysis type of experience, which, you know, I pretty much rationalized as being hallucinatory because it was essentially a lucid dream combined with a false awakening. If you have these things are often connected and disrupted sleep patterns. Because uh, something one thing that used to happen to me quite often was I'd hear a doorbell going off in my house when I was asleep. This was like in the morning. I'd hear the doorbell go like ding dong. And, you know, you'd leap out of bed and run to the doorbell and there was nobody there. And this was basically like a, a sort of an auditory hallucination. Like I'd hear this bell going off. This was probably because I was thinking, oh, maybe there'll be a delivery. Often this is connected. This might happen to you as well. But sometimes you think, oh, I've got to get up in the morning because somebody's coming to the house or there's going to be a delivery. So then, you know, your sleep is a little bit troubled because you're waking up thinking, oh, the doorbell's going to go off in a minute. I'd better get up. And then you, you imagine the doorbell. You, you, you mishear it. So that's almost like a sort of, I don't know, like a maybe that's almost like a neurolinguistic programming sort of thing whereby you sort of convince yourself that you're going to hear something, you know, and then you do hear it. But I'm going to go back and read this out, which is uh, something I wrote on the Perturbi message board. It was actually in response to somebody else's uh, experience. And again, I don't have the details in front of me, but the heading was, I don't know if this qualifies, but it's recent. I probably should have put it in a different category or whatever, but this actually was October 22nd, 2009, I posted this. Uh, and just to bring up sleep paralysis again, and I'm not under any circumstances being absolutely sceptical about anyone's experiences here. I've had a good few weird experiences similar to this where I felt myself jolted awake only without any other odd phenomena, although I'm coming to that. Normally I could describe the feeling as being akin to were you to be walking along the street, catch your foot on something, trip and right yourself before falling, except while asleep in bed. To, to clarify, you know, that's also, yeah, jumping out of it for a minute, that's also a common phenomenon is the, you know, tripping over feeling while you're asleep, which sometimes has happened to me. And that's, uh, again, connected with disrupted sleep patterns like 
what I've had sometimes is that you're on the point of falling asleep and suddenly feel a jolt, like, whoa, and it's the same feeling you get where you catch your foot on a paving stone and you're about to, and you sort of stop yourself from tripping. Uh, so I've had that sort of thing as well, and that I think is at least for me a fairly explainable quirk of the brain that has happened to me many times. Then there are other sleep-related experiences, and I'm putting that in inverted commas there, that I've had. And in this instance, I think the phrase sleep-related experience sets them out, at least in my mind, as not absolutely either dream or reality, but maybe a combination of both. And the main one related to the flash for me, or the flash, what was the flash? For me, it always comes not only with visual but auditory effects. So this was me talking about um, sleep paralysis. Uh, and there's often a sort of sort of flash effect, you know, whereby you have a lot of things coming in at once when you're having a sleep paralysis incident. Uh, but they always seem, well, I was tempted to call them hallucinations, but these ones always, these sleep paralysis type experiences always seem really real and lucid. And as I say, they also they all often seem to come for me as a result of having erratic sleep patterns. Like if you wake and go back to sleep and wake again for short periods at a time, or if you've been deprived of sleep. Uh, the sleep paralysis things were whereby sometimes I this hasn't happened in quite a long time now. This was a good few years ago, you know, maybe about this actual sleep paralysis incident was probably about four years ago, three or three, three years ago. And what I tend to, tended to get during these sleep paralysis things, uh, I'd be, you know, I'd wake up and I'd have the paralysis, you know, my body was frozen, and I would seem to hear incredibly loud auditory effects. And this was mainly the sound of whooshing, banging, crashing, and oddly what sounds like, you know, a lot of fire alarms going off at once. Just like a, a huge cacophony of noise going off in your head and this is you know and this is hallucinatory you know this noise isn't happening but you, you you're hearing it in your head and also what i do remember noticing was the what felt like the sort of the frantic chaotic ringing of cowbells which sounds it's like somebody's shaking cowbells at the side of your head while you're lying in bed and in a weird way that sort of makes me think of the weird celtic music for some reason because maybe it was the same sort of feeling to that only that was very you know quiet and calm and placid but in the weirder of these sleep paralysis moments that I used to have, this was this was later on. I must admit, must say, this wasn't when I was a child. This was definitely into my teens. I was having these sleep paralysis things, and the first couple were a bit sort of freaky. But the last few I've had, I was not freaked out by them at all. I just thought, well, here here we go with another sleep processing. I mean, you often hear people talking about sleep process experiences and they seem really troubled by them. Or you read about sleep process experiences and me having sort of looked at this, this quite a bit, I think, well, that's just your typical sleep process. That's nothing. That's not aliens. That's not ghosts. Uh, and I, you know, I often have the sense that there are people in the room, like there's many people running around the bed. Which, while this was happy to be when I had this sense of was people running around the bed, this is different from the first experience I recounted from before, from when I was, you know, little, when I felt the thing rushing into my room. That, again, makes me think maybe that was just a, an early sleep paralysis moment, because that was really scary. But that's because I didn't understand it at the time. And now that I've sort of thought about it more, the last few of these sleep paralysis things that I've had... I had the sense of the being people in the room and I never hallucinated or saw people. If I opened my eyes during these sleep paralysis things and looked around me because commonly the only thing you can do is move your eyes and that was the case for me, 
you know, I looked around the room and I, off, uh, you know, I, there was a sort of a fuzzy sort of sense. There was, it was like there was a sort of mist in the air almost. Like I couldn't really see clearly, but I didn't, you know, see anything weird. But the one thing that I do see, or that I did see, was what I describe as an electrical explosion. And this was this was what I meant by flash. Actually, was I'd see a very white and swift burst of light, which would usually be off in a corner of the room, as if a wall socket or a plug has exploded. And this isn't all that typical from when awake, but sometimes it's part of the more traditional false awakening, where I'd seem to wake up in an odd altered bedroom, which would be similar but different from my own. And often there's an un un unexpected person uh, who, you know, who is human and familiar to me, I might add, in the room with me and talking to me about something mundane. Then I'll see the flash explosion in the corner of the room, sometimes see sparks or firework-like effects. Then I'll wake for real, usually feeling a, a great sense of unease and sometimes panic. And again, sense that, you know, someone has been in the room and just left. And from talking about that, you can go into Michael Persinger, you know, who's, who did that whole thing with the, is it the God Helmet, you know. And Susan Blackmore is another one who, who I think she was a part, as a part, you know, sort of looked at parapsychology and how, you know, and we've heard all about all this, how you can... Uh, spontaneously create alien abduction experiences in people's heads or spontaneously cause people to sense that there are ghosts in the room or or just to, to, to you know to hear weird noises and this is messing about with the chemistry of the brain really and that's probably what's happening during these these experiences uh, and there have been variations I mean there was one encounter encounter probably the wrong word where I remember from a few years back where I was like, I was, you know, again, I had these disrupted sleep patterns and I felt as if somebody wrenched on my bed sheets and pulled them down. Like I was lying in bed uh, and then like the, like I felt like somebody at the bottom of the bed pulled on the duvet and I felt the, the, the sheet being tugged down. And now looking at connectivity, you know, I think of that weird thing that my mother mentioned about when she had ghosts messing about with her sheets, seemingly when she was in France years ago. And similarly to the other sort of memories I have from when I was younger of like a thing coming up from the bottom of my bed. I say the people who would push against me, that like which felt like small people of a large dog, you know, when I was, you know, having these soft of sleep paralysis type experiences when I was a kid. And this is starting to sound quite skeptical now. But um, the most recent weird sleep encounter was actually more like a typical shadow person encounter uh, and very unlike the others in that it did involve me seeing a being slash apparition. And it started with the false awakening thing in which I seemed to wake up in my bedroom except things were subtly different. And I looked over to the corner of the room uh, at my bookcase where I saw a small dark figure crouching down in the corner. Except I knew he he seemed to be sort of squeezed into a nook behind the bookcase where a figure of of this person's size rightly would not be able to fit. Again, we come back to this thing of, of silhouette figures, which is seems to be common in all these things I've been seeing. And as I spotted this figure, I saw like a white electrical flash exploding behind it, like something blew up behind it and the creature seemed to leap or be catapulted across the room. And this is like a sort of weird of thinking like Spring-Heeled Jack, literally was, or, or a leprechaun or something, you know, like I saw this thing catapult, like spring across the room, and then it landed behind my open bedroom door, which was on the other side of the room. 
and then it peered its head back around the door to look at me. And the impression I got here was that it was like some sort of a frightened animal. It, it seemed scared of me, when I, and I felt the sort of presence of this thing as it looked at me. And again, I could see, you know, it was a black silhouette. It seemed to be a small man. I don't know, like four feet tall, probably shorter than that. And yes, it did seem to be wearing a floppy brimmed hat. Or at least I could see the, the outline of this floppy brimmed hat on this thing's head. And strangest of all, perhaps, it seemed to have a long hooked uh, witch-like nose. And it also seemed to be wearing a coat with the collar turned up. Although again, you know, I saw no features, only this black silhouette of this little character. And as this thing behind the door peeped in and looked at me, I woke up for real in my own bed and sort of leapt up in a panic, frantically looking around. I saw no things blowing up, nothing on fire, no little being at the door, and everything was normal now. And I woke up and thought, wow, that must have been a sleep paralysis type weird vision that I just had. And that was almost like a shadow person. That was weird. And, you know, I didn't didn't think of it as being, you know, any sort of invasive creature come to attack me or be demonic or steal my soul or anything like that. I just thought it was almost like a hallucination, lucid dream experience. Um, yeah, I think I wrote at the time I said it was a gumshoe leprechaun, which was kind of like it was like a, it looked like a sort of private eye detective with the collar turned up and the, and the hat, which was quite strange. Uh, this is Colin Andrews, and you're listening to Paratopia. If you record audio for any purpose, chances are you want it to be heard. You want to attract the largest audience possible who can hear your message. That's where we come in. We're CyberEars.com, a revolutionary internet service that will host your audio files and help you promote and track its popularity. Considering hosting a podcast to the world, we have all the automated tools to make the process as simple and easy as it can be. No technical mumbo-jumbo to work out. CyberEars.com does all the work for you. You record it, we take care of the rest. So don't delay. Go to CyberEars.com today and register for a free trial account. Upload your audio files and get heard. With CyberEars.com, it's your audio on your terms. Eerie Radio, the endeavor for esoteric research and investigation into the enigmatic. Eerie Radio is a weekly podcast that features interviews with the world's leading paranormal researchers. Download episodes of Eerie Radio from your favorite podcatcher or directly from the show website at www.eerieradio.com. Eerie Radio. Listen. Learn. Laugh. And now, post-experiential analysis and conjecture. I already said this bit, but at the top of the hour. So my original idea was I was going to relate all this stuff to time and memory and how that relates to anomalous events. But I found myself going off into a parallel universe almost quite literally by sort of doing a lot of research on quantum entanglement and magic and mind control and synchronicity. And I look at all of these anomalous experiences that I 
describe them as the ones that I felt more might have been a little bit more strange and might have been to do with some sort of a shall we say ufological connection to them or the poltergeist thing and these things I've seen that have been like sort of shadow figures across the years from when I was a kid you know I saw these things that were like silhouettes were like cardboard cutouts of reality and oddly enough I've only started to think this I only started to think this in the last sort of couple of weeks when I've been really thinking about this and putting this show together the hat man the white being that I saw the silhouette thing in the wall uh they all look like the same thing and I say that just because they, they, they literally do look like the same thing to me. There, there were different experiences and different contexts and different periods in time and different connected emotions and, you know, the thing that, you know, came back from behind the window, you know, to sort of come and talk to me, to come and, you know, see me and my brother and was disturbing us so much. They all look like someone's taken a pair of scissors and cut this stuff out of reality. And again, maybe if you want to start thinking about repressed memories and, um you know, screen memories and how memories are intangible and subject to, you know, suggestion and emotional bias and contextual, I don't know, subjectivity. It's difficult to know for sure because, I mean, I, I, I say these things are memories. I remember these things concretely happening. But similarly, I don't know what they were and my memories of them fall to pieces. So uh, why are these things not clear to me why do i not remember them clearly why do they not make any sense and having thought about the whole you know those two sort of really sort of psychedelic dream experiences i mentioned about the um the shamanistic one whereby you know i sort of felt like these alien doctors came up out of my personality and started talking to me and sort of you know repairing me from inside uh is this our self-editing inner self is this the shadow side the secret self the inner voice, the internal personality that doesn't want us to see any of this stuff. So to use computer terminology again, it gets shoved into the recycle bin. Or is this something that's written into our DNA, like the, the spirit molecule? Is this intangible subset of the personality that perhaps sits as an explanation for all this stuff, you know? Why do people have alien abductions? What are the aliens? You know, not, not things that I've seen. But what are what are what are the alien beings? You know, what are ghosts? What are the channeled spirit entities? You know, what is the trickster? And it might be reasonable to perhaps theorize that it's us. It is our own psyches coming back at us. I was talking about that thing about looking in the mirror and seeing reflections that were that were me, but were some other self. And like I say, in this 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 sort of shamanistic experience where the alien doctor is talking to me and I felt that they were me. I felt I knew them and I understood them and I sort of could theorize about where they were coming from. Like they were familiar to my they were familiar to my under my personality, but I couldn't put my finger on what they were, except that you know they seemed to be coming from inside my head. They they were from within my psyche, from the Jungian collective unconsciousness, and it's like that whole notion, you know, the Jungian flying saucers that flying saucers were something that came out of our subconscious, and this is another theory that people talked about, about how alien encounters have changed over the years. And how, you know, the Space Brothers were big in the 70s and the disc-shaped flying craft with flashing lights on them were big in that same sort of time period. And then coming into the 80s, the whole alien abduction and the whole sinister sort of little grey beings came along in the 80s, you know, in the 90s. And this fitted in with emergent cultural trends. 
So that all sort of pointed me into the, the basic things I was going to talk about in this show, which were quantum theory, uh, what I'm calling the dream life synchronicities. And this is to do with dream analysis, not Freudian or anything like that, but a different sort of system of dream analysis, which I'm going to talk about a little bit. And chaos magic, which is something which I've had quite an interest in for a while, just a peripheral interest in, in chaos magic, because I'm not a magic person. And again, I'm spelling magic here with a K on the end of it, you know, so if there's any Wiccans or Pagans or occultists listening, I'm sure you know a lot more about this than I do, because I'm not very familiar with magic. But, you know, I've been reading a lot about chaos magic recently. Uh, but I will start off now by trying to talk about chaos magic a little bit, because this was the, the main thing that I wanted to have a go at. So mainly, and now we have uh, the heading was Chaos Magic in Relation to Anomalous Experience. So, I mean, chaos magic, I think, is generally seen as being something different from traditional uh, ceremonial magic or the Western esoteric tradition, which, again, uh, is different from and similar to native traditions like native peoples of the world, you know, like be it the Native Americans or the Aborigines or the Celtic peoples. Uh... And there's all the, you go into all this stuff, I mean, I'm not going to talk about this much, but, you know, all the, the magic stuff about conjuring up demons. I think what chaos magic is more informed by psychoanalytic theory, and it also takes a fair bit from Tibetan Buddhism. And it grew out of, well, I say it, it sort of grew out of traditional magic. Well, chaos magic grew, it's a sort of a splinter of traditional magic. And you can trace all that back to Blavatsky and the Theosophical Society. And from there, you can go in two directions you can go to Aleister Crowley uh, and and if you want to go off in the other realm the Theosophical Society also contributed to the rise of occult national socialism you know and Nazism Nazi flying saucers and Hitler you know chasing the uh, Holy Grail and the um, you know Spear of Destiny and Nazis in Antarctica and Nazis on the moon which is definitely absolutely true, by the way. There are positively, definitely, definitely Nazis living on the dark side of the moon. But going back to magic, you know, Alistair Crowley, all that occult stuff, which I've, I have actually read a bit on. You know, I've read books on Wicca. I've peripherally sort of messed about with spells, but nothing happened. So, so I gave up. You know, I never really tried magic much. So I, I've, read, I've read a bit on Wicca and paganism and uh, the more traditional stuff, which is Elephas Levi. You know, and I haven't really read anything by Alistair Crowley because he's the guy you're supposed to go to, apparently, if you want to become an, a demonologist and summon up Satan and stuff like that. But for me, looking at that sort of stuff, as I have done over the years, because, I mean, I've always been really, really fascinated by ufological stuff and by theories about aliens. And obviously, that's why I'm listening to Paratopia. Uh, but for me, when I sort of looked into peripheral connections to magic, which I think there is a massive amount of correlation between so-called magic with a K and paranormal phenomena, ghosts and UFOs and Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster and all of that weird stuff. I think my basic theory that I'm coming at now is that the whole thing's the same. And I, obviously this has been brought up in Paratopia before, but really I do start to see that all this stuff is completely part of the same phenomena. But when I, when I, when I was looking at um, magic and the occult, just reading stuff about it... Uh, all of that, even even sort of the more sort of friendly pagan, the friendly Wiccan stuff, as opposed to the occult, nasty, dark, evil Satanist stuff, 
it does tend a lot of it tends to be wrapped up in very heavy baggage and sometimes very heavy religious baggage and spiritual terminology like if you want to go into you know biblical texts bible codes and the gnostic gospels and all that thelema and kabbalah and the tree of life you know i mean i've sort of looked at some of that stuff and read about it here and there but i find a lot of that really tough to wrap, wrap my head around at least i find it you know difficult and it's not something that massively appeals to me as being you know i don't want to go and become a mason or anything like that or become a ceremonial magician or join a, a lodge or anything like that so coming back to chaos magic which like i say it has these sort of buddhist underpinnings to it and it also tries to apply more scientific and psychoanalytical principles to it to this basic idea of it almost is like a thing about self-improvement really you know it's like scientology chaos magic uh, the people who started off um, popularizing Chaos Magic were Phil Hine and Peter Carroll, uh, and they were working on stuff that grew out of the work of Austin Osman Spare, and that came again out of all Alistair Crowley, going back to the Theosophical Society, and that goes as its roots in Tibetan stuff and, you know, really ancient sort of traditional cultural stuff. I recently was reading this um, essay from a guy called Marek, uh, who, well, his real name is Mark de Freitz. And, you know, there might be people out there who know more about this than I do, but I'm just going to talk about it anyway. There's probably people scoffing at my ignorance of the subject, but, and, you know, if I make mistakes, fair enough, call me on it. But the main thing that got me into Chaos Magic got me thinking about it quite a lot, and this read, led me to a lot of other things, and I go around in circles here and I come back to the whole phenomena of the paranormal and the occult and ufology and aliens and all that stuff which has been my abiding instance, and that all comes back to my experiences. And the thing that got me interested in Chaos Magic, uh, there's a writer called Grant Morrison, who, if those of you out there who are interested in comics, you know, will probably know who this guy is, but he's a comics writer, he's, he's from Scotland, uh, Grant Morrison, and he, he wrote this comic that started in 1994 that's called The Invisibles. Uh, and, you know, he, he's a really interesting character, as a, you know, I'm a huge fan of him as a writer, but he's also someone who I think, if Paratopian people, will probably find Grant Morrison quite interesting because he's someone who talks a lot about um, a lot of stuff to do with the sort of stuff we're interested in, right? One of the central threads of the Invisibles was it was um, it was a sort of a post-apocalyptic, well, a pre-apocalyptic sort of pre-millennial fever thing. It was all about leading up to the millennium, and he in this comic goes very heavily into theories about what the universe is and how the universe works and they send and you know it goes towards 2012 and it's all about the famous 2012 date which was kind of my introduction to that whole thing as well because i had never heard of that really before but this comic sort of posits right from the start that the world's going to end in december 21st uh, 2012 and this was back in 1994 he was writing this when it started out so a lot of his theories are sort of like futurist you know and he goes into how the cosmology for this comic is that our reality is a, a hologram that has been created by uh, the intersection point of a corrupt, dying sort of a fourth dimensional world. No, a, 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 a two dimensional world uh, intersecting with a, a sort of healthy, positive fourth dimensional world. So these two intersecting dimensions come together, a good universe and a bad universe. And at the point where they meet, uh, that's where our reality is created. And this is quite an interesting sort of setup for a comic, you know, and a story. And there's this whole other thing where the, where the lead characters, they break into the Dulce base. 
and the Roswell alien shows up at some point and the Roswell alien is actually a broken off piece of this corrupt universe that has fallen into ours and corrupted our reality, which is quite an interesting idea. Uh, and the guy who wrote this comic, Grant Morrison, you know, he has been a chaos magician and he talks a lot about this is this is actually going to make a point. I'm not just going off on a tangent here, but uh, he's kind of uh, credited now with creating a thing called a hyper sigil. And I'm going to talk about sigil magic in a little bit. But he described this comic, The Invisibles, as being like a hyper sigil, which was supposed to improve and accelerate human consciousness. Uh, and I've got to thinking recently that this is a little bit like what Paratopia is doing, because Paratopia in enhances your consciousness if you're sensible and you listen to it. You know, you might learn some stuff and it might fire you off in some different directions of thinking. And that's certainly what it has done for me, you know, and it has led me to now coming to recording this this show and, and being on Paratopia, which I quite think is a really interesting thing to do. So uh, keeping keeping with chaos magic, The Invisibles is a really interesting comic and it deals with an awful lot of really heavy philosophical issues about magic and the nature of the universe and uh, all that sort of interesting stuff. And it explains what aliens are and explains what we are and how basically we, you know, the human race is just sort of um, antibodies in a, in a in the vast sort of body of the universe that's about to be reborn into you know this thing he called in the comic a super context which is what happens in 2012 that's his theoretical concept that so many other people have written about in so many other different ways you know this idea that come 2012 it's either you know i mean moving into the galactic center and all that stuff you know which probably won't happen we're all going to have this uh singularity event this acceleration of human culture this cr crunch point whereby we're either going to all die off or become brilliant hyper ascended beings and so sort of broadly you know thinking about that crazy 2012 stuff which i don't really take seriously uh coming back to this guy marik who wrote this essay which i read very recently and the thing is this is about coming back to the synchronicity thing because reading this comic the invisibles pointed me to thinking about a lot of occult type stuff which i never really thought about before uh and so recently i read this um essay by marik called uh sigils servitors and Godforms." And this is sort of discussing various theories about how chaos magic works. He ties chaos magic into, you know, uh, models that have been used by shamans and traditional ceremonial magicians. And this is a thing I was saying about how all these uh, systems that people have used for magic over the years, they all completely sort of tie together. There's the shamanistic process, uh, which ties in with, you know, old school magic, which ties in with Wicca which ties in with chaos magic. I mean, they're all different sort of ways of doing the same thing, which is a way of sort of communing with the divine, basically. And to me, magic looks a lot like religion in that way. It's the same thing as being a fundamentalist Christian, almost, in that you have a you have a ex, uh, established belief system that works for you, and you figure out how it works, and you figure out what's on the other side of this belief system. And it's, well, it's communion. It's about uh interaction with your gods and you know the spirits you know the, the 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 space brothers uh and it's about um really uh chaos magic is about uh working with entities that exist in a dimension accessible to ours which you get to through altered states of consciousness so we see here how these things i've been talking about tie together like that experience i had which i thought was like just a crazy hallucination i can look at that and i can say uh, it was a shamanic journey. It was going into the Aboriginal dream time. It was like uh, Barbara Three Crows, uh, the Aluna, which you probably heard about re quite recently on Paratopia. 
and that's well that's basically the spirit model of of chaos magic which is a more shamanic traditional magician version where you communicate with beings through an altered state of consciousness and then there's an energy model which is uh where you see energy currents uh, in reality and these are sort of vitalized by your own manipulation of them there's the psychological model uh, in which the magician is seen as a programmer of symbols and different states of consciousness uh, where you m manipulate the you have yourself and the deep psyche so this is going into the subconsciousness and playing about again you can this is a thing you can do and this really ties in with what I did with dreams when I started to do my own sort of system of sort of um, dream analysis and where you look at the symbols that pop up in your dreams and you relate them to stuff that has been going on in your own life. And this is a process of sort of asking yourself questions, you know, which is another thing you're meant to do when you when you go to bed at night. You're supposed to ask yourself a question or whatever, and you get the answer in your dreams. So for me, from having read this about chaos magic, it seems like it's a very similar sort of thing. And then there's the informational model, where information is the code that programs the essential neutral energy of the life force. So already, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing it out a lot of really complicated terminology, some of which doesn't necessarily move me to believing it's 100% accurate either. But, you know, these are, like I said, these are models for working with this supposed magical energy that subsists in the universe. And that feels like religion, feels like any sort of belief system, really. It's just a matter of, well, magic is all about will, from what I've figured about it, you know, do what thou wilt and all that. Uh, it's about if you have to believe it before it'll work, which ties me into, you know, it's the same thing about when people talk about aliens, you know, if, if, you, if, you, if you start to believe in the aliens, then they'll come and mess with you. And here we have with the, the same thing about the trickster again, you know, it's like introducing change into static systems, you know, it's like uh the trickster is possibly something what is it does it come from the subconsciousness you know is it this sort of uh force that is built out of this buried aspect of our psyche this sort of intelligence that subsists within us and gets pulled out when we start to try to commune with it you know when we ask questions does it emerge uh oh well this is basically like a, more, a clearer definition shall we say of chaos magic but this guy marek sort of describes it as being like a technology of an approach towards different magical systems and it's about self-understanding like i said about this sort of psychoanalytical process uh, a young for a young informed psychological level and it's about working with your own personality and putting your own will and your own personality onto how the universe works and you have to sort of become the dominant force here. You have to sort of step up to the plate and work with the universe and get the universe to work for you and with you through the doing of magical acts. Uh, and it sort of builds a midpoint between, you know, the sort of the two sort of pole of extremes of magic that you, you might have heard about or you probably know more about than we do. You know, there's the Wiccan the you know the, the left hand path and the right hand path you know which is whereby one of them is good and one of them is bad one of them is the bad you know the bad side the whole evil summoning up demon side is all about the church of satan and all that and basically trying to dominate people in a sort of nietzschean sense whereby you have the superman and everybody does what you want uh or the good serve where it's all about serving the earth and serving gaia and the goddess and the earth mother and giving yourself over to you know but chaos magic is somewhere down the middle basically you do it for yourself but you also do it for the good of the universe 
Uh, and this guy, this guy Marek, also quotes Phil Hine here, who was, you know, one of the first Chaos Magicians. And Phil Hines described the self in this sort of context of working with Chaos Magic as being like an organic city entity, where some portions are more prominent than others, where there are hidden tunnels and sewers, and where the underlevels carry vital energies to buildings. The city self is continually, ch is continually changing and growing. Tear down a building of belief, and another grows back in its place. Now this, that little quote there, got me to thinking about psychogeography, which is a thing that sort of grew out of um, situationism, which was this um, sort of philosophical standpoint whereby what you're doing relates to where you are, broadly speaking. Again, I'm being, I'm being vague about a lot of things here, but, you know, I'd probably be wasting your time to try and look into this, you know, and just be reading stuff off of, you know, Wikipedia or whatever. But servitors was the thing I was going to, I got into, which I thought was really fascinating. So the psychogeography thing, I'll come back to in just a little bit. But uh, for the time being, I wanted to look at this servitor thing. But a servitor is generally, cons I'm not fully quoting here, I'm paraphrasing from this essay, uh, sigils, servitors, and godforms, which is um, an essay. I'm not sure where it's from exactly, but I found it online as part of a sort of a free download sort of package of occult texts, which um, I think you can find if you go looking online for free occult texts. That apparently there's a whole group of people that are uh, insistent on disseminating these things completely for free. You know, these. Uh, difficult, hard to get hold of texts, you know, massive amounts of, you know, writings on magic. So this essay uh, talked a lot about sigils, servitors, and godforms, which are three things, basically. Uh, I'll mention sigils in a little bit, but, well, I already did mention a hyper-sigil, but um, servitors were, you know, it's a ter the term servitor came actually from well, it goes back to before Chaos Magic, and it was originally cropped up in Pulp Fiction, actually, apparently, in, in the Weird Tales stories in the 30s. It was a guy called Clark Ashton Smith who first came up with the term. Uh, and servitor here in, in the sort of the terminology of Chaos Magic is a, is a word referring to entities that actualize through evocation. So these are basically things that you summon up. Uh, and these are really broken off parts of the human psyche from what I understand, from what I've been reading about it. So I know I mentioned the self, I mentioned how Phil Hines said that the self was like an organic city entity. So, and this is something that really ties in with what I've been thinking about dreams, is that when you dream, or at least when I've been dreaming and when I kept a dream diary, there, there are recurring dreams that I have. Uh, I should probably go into this now, actually, but I might do later. But, you you know, you I think most of us out there have sort of recurring dreams where you're in the same... You come back to the same places time and time again, you know, in your dream states. And the idea of the organic city entity really made me think a lot about a place I seem to come back to in my dreams. Again, it's all about belief systems and how you, you, you choose to interpret this stuff. You know, I mean, you can easily just say dreams, oh, you can do the Freudian thing, oh, it's just your repressed desires and fears manifesting themselves in your sleep, you know, like uh, you go to bed at night worrying about, you know, a job interview and then automatically you will dream about the job interview going really badly and something really embarrassing happening to you, you know, like those sort of typical dreams that I think everyone has where, you know, 
you go into an interview or whatever and you know your your clothes start falling off you know or something just really ridiculous like that or you, you've forgotten anything that you want to say you know in the interview and your mind goes blank and you can't you, you can't speak and you fail the interview so you've got the sort of the dream scenario whereby if you go to if you want to go into your dream analysis and again it's how about you how you choose to look at it right so you can look at your dreams as just being just constructions of the mind you know your own intellect your, well your own sort of super consciousness or whatever just um doing internal sort of calculations at night to try and sort your brain out so you can get up in the morning and readjust be readjusted and work back in the real world and have pro internally processed these little problems and issues that you have but in chaos magic a servitor is seen as being part of the personality that has been broken off just this idea that a servitor is a, like a creature or a or a spirit or a, or, a, or a sort of an entity that has been you know created by you physically i mean this is something i mean if there is anyone out there who is a chaos magician i'd really like to you know hear from you because i want to know how this thing works because i think for me there's a sort of a, a barrier perhaps on the level of belief systems for me because i just i haven't I think this is the process I'm going through now where I'm starting to like really start to dig into this stuff and really start to see how it works because previously I mean I'm quite a skeptic about this because you know I was one of the people I thought I looked at magic and I thought I think it, it seems like nonsense to me you know I mean that sounds a bit very skeptical you know but I just I don't see how it works I don't see how you can you know cast a spell and summon something up and make something actually happen in the real world. A servitor is generally considered to be a broken off part of the deep mind, perhaps, which is, you know, and again, you go into the Jungian collective unconsciousness. So the idea is that these entities not located in the psyche of any particular magician. So the idea being is, you know, if you go into your head, there are things in there. Yeah, this is the Phil Hine quote. And in my view, demons, angels, imaginary friends, poltergeists, and perhaps even ghosts are servitors. Servitors can also be called thought forms, here's a good word here, as opposed to god forms, which can sometimes be servitors on steroids. So again, thought forms, which are tulpas, right? Which is the trickster, yes, I think. <laughs> so, so there's that idea that, and again, if we stop and say for a moment, okay, aliens, what if they are servitors? What if they are thought forms? What if they are tulpas? What if these beings that we encounter... What if they're just things that come out of our heads? I know this isn't an original idea, but it's something that I've, I've recently started to think is just seems really practical to me. It seems to make, it almost seems to make sense. You know, it's, it's something you can actually explain away. There's another theory that, you know, they're part of the group consciousness of the planet Earth. And the term God forms, which I mentioned before, which is another term from Chaos Magic, which refers to, again, that's like Gaia, basically. That's almost the idea of this energy that exists in the planet Earth, this sort of Wi-Fi sort of cloud of intelligence that potentially exists. And from them, you can go into Rupert Sheldrake and the morphogenetic field and all that sort of thing. So these entities either come from quantum level of reality, you know, that they drift in from parallel universe and intersect with our minds. Uh, or that they come from within our heads. And the idea being that a servitor can be built out of, for example, resentment towards one's parents, and you have to feed it frequently enough, you know, <laughs> which is a quote from this essay, Sigils, Servitors and Godforms, which I'm sort of referring to a bit here. 
So the idea being is that, you know, you this is the whole psychoanalytical aspect of it, is the idea that servitors are creatures, beings, spirits are created by, you know, your own internal mental processes. And even in dreams, you know, like if you have visions of things in dreams, these are potentially uh, sort of manifestations or externalizations or projections of your own psyche. And the whole point about chaos magic is that you can work with these beings called servitors. You can send them out into the world to affect change for you. Peter Carroll is quoted as comparing servitors to demons, to elementals, familiars, incubi, succubi, budwills, demons, atavisms, wraiths, spirits, and so on. Once again, you know, that basically backs up the idea that this almost works as a sort of... Uh, a sort of an all-encompassing theory for this is that, you know, it's, and again, coming back to the thing I mentioned earlier about The Matrix, you know, there's that scene in The Matrix film where you've got the um the old woman talking about glitches in The Matrix and how vampires, werewolves and ghosts and whatever are just things left over from an earlier time, you know, an earlier version of reality. And maybe that earlier version of reality is filled with, could be the Jungian unconsciousness and these things come dredging up from time to time from the depths of our psyches and we can pull them back and recontextualize them you know and there's that whole thing the union flying saucers and the fact that we had the space brothers in the 70s and the little gray aliens doing soil tests and this goes into that idea of illusion and um the trickster element of of possible alien beings and um the idea that they're putting on this puppet show for us you know like uh it's never quite what it looks like if we see things then and have experiences are they necessarily 100 percent objectively what we experienced no probably not so that's why i was thinking about the this experience i had where i saw these alien doctors who were sort of improving my personality and working with maybe maybe you can tie these into the chaos magic idea of servitors you know like these were basically things that on some sort of a subconscious or unconscious level there was some part of my internal psyche that needed to dredge these things up and use them to initiate some sort of a self-improvement process so we've sort of got a model here or at least i've been thinking of this as being a sort of a model for what I'm going to call the self-editing secret self, or the inner voice, if you want to call it that. And we'll learn all about Colin Reed's inner voice next week on part two of this enthralling Paratopia!